when we started looking into what actually worked in uh, different environments and different kinds of teams, we found that the answers are actually fairly complex. It turns out that oftentimes folks who are trying to run super short meetings are skipping out on the things that make teams gel. They'll skip out the bit where they talk to each other about who they are as humans, where they say hello, <laughs> for example. <laughs> They'll skip acknowledging and, and saying thank you and appreciating each other's work. Yeah. They'll skip taking the time to be confused about a thing. Mm-hmm and pause and let people wonder if they actually do have a question and ask it when they're in the room to get that answer that they need. They blow past in the name of efficiency all the things that lead to effectiveness. So learning and keeping them too short turns out to be myth. You are listening to the Align Remotely podcast, the show dedicated to helping you lead distributed teams under difficult circumstances. I am the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade. As a practitioner, I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Welcome back. Today we are speaking with Elise Keith, who is the author of the book Where the Action Is. And Elise is a world-class expert on meeting effectiveness. Uh, she's quite thought deeply about them in a pretty methodical way, to the point where she built software to improve meetings. And uh, also she's been training people for quite a long time, so not as part of this recent batch uh, based on the current need, but she's been she's really had the chance to uh, think through a lot of this. Um, so in today's episode, we cover why making meetings super short is a rookie mistake uh, of sorts, and uh, why many people will complain about meetings yet um, try to claw their way into them, and um, also the, what COVID's really done to meetings, both on the good side and on the not-so-good side. So let's, uh, let's get started. Elise, welcome to the Align Remotely podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into meetings? Sure, you bet. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Lucid Meetings, and we were founded 10 years ago when we worked with a bunch of organizations that brought people together from all over the world. So we worked with international standards organizations. And these are these groups where they're trying to get people together from different companies and industry and government and decide like, how wide should the roads be? What's safe enough when we talk about drinking water or paint on toys or all kinds of like really important decisions. They make these decisions largely in meetings. And so you'd think, golly, if you look at like company culture stuff and all of the advice you get about how you make communication work on teams that 
all of these people must have had their disc profiles done and they must know exactly what their colors are and they must <laughs> understand how to relate perfectly to the introverts and the extroverts and balance all of their unique needs. And it turns out it's not the case actually. And in, and in fact, when you bring these groups together from all over the world to make these decisions, you're often bringing together people from competing companies. So like the standards that we use to run the web, the internet are decided on by people who are from Microsoft and Google and Adobe and all of these companies that don't necessarily like each other hmm. um, sitting in a room together. And the people who are sitting in that room are not always the people with the best communication skills. So how is it that they actually get the decisions made? And the way they get the decisions made is they structure those meetings so that it is very clear how they're going to get the decision made. Like they have a plan. When we come in, this is how we start. This is who gets to talk in which order. This is how you raise objections. This is how we make sure everybody gets a say. This is how we make sure it's not illegal to talk to each other because we're <laughs> competitors and that's technically collusion. So all of those kinds of things. And then the company or the organization that, that figured out how to do it the best could get those groups from around the world together in the room to make those kinds of decisions and get a standard from ground zero to released into the world, driving the economy in six months. And they did that by really honing how they run those meetings. They trained people how to run them. They got the process down and they were able to achieve amazing things. Hmm. And if you go back 10 years and you look at where I was, I worked for a company that did legal software. And in those companies, boy, we couldn't get sales and marketing and engineering to agree on what we sold or <laughs> what color the logo should be, or, you know, how many spaces should be used in a tab when you're writing code, just crazy little things. We would have us blocked for months. So the insight that led to the company was that um, when you design the meetings so that people can talk to each other successfully and make decisions, everything else gets easier. And since then, we have, I've done a bunch of research and worked 10 years is quite a while, worked with a lot of folks and every place where you see people doing truly amazing things, they have figured out how to talk to each other well. So do you remember that moment when you got that insight about the design of the meetings? Yeah, I wish it was enlightened, but it so wasn't because this is like a decade ago. We were working on software and what we noticed was that these big organizations had these really great meetings, but all they had was like Microsoft Word docs and WebEx. And while they had a clear structure, not everybody was equally equipped to use that structure. Hmm. And you'd get the thing where you had the one manager or the one chairperson who was good at it. And they had their fancy Microsoft thing and there's some Excel tables and they did some wizardry and boof, that group just flew by. And then that person would rotate out and you get another person in there and, and performance would drop because they, while they had the structure, they didn't know how to run it. And so we were founded to create software to help even out that performance, mm -hmm. put a structure in place that everybody can use and, and makes them all equally competent at running well-designed meetings. But at the time, I still believed a lot of the things that are, turn out to be myths. I still believed most meetings were a waste of time, the way to like 
to run better meetings was to get rid of as many as possible, uh, that they should be super short. I believed all of these things. And it turns out uh, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Before we go into that, what exactly do you mean by designing a meeting? A meeting is an event, right? It's an experience. And just like a great party or any other important event in your life, you can put some intention and attention into what happens when people show up, who's supposed to show up, right? Based on what you're trying to achieve in that moment, who are the right people to help you achieve it? What happens when they show up together? And how do you make sure that everybody goes from the start of that event to the end in a way that is joyous and fun and productive and helps you achieve your outcomes. So we know these things intuitively, like when we do family holidays. There are some family members you you hope not to invite if you wish to achieve the joyous family holiday. And and the there are places where those of we need to honor in very special ways have to sit. And there are all kinds of care that you take. You take care in how folks are greeted. You take care in the ordering of how the event proceeds. And that level of design is possible for each and every time we bring people together. That is the art of gathering, as um, Priya Parker wrote about it. It's a great little book she wrote. Going back to the myths that you discovered are myths and not let's say, what everybody thought was true. How was that process? For example, no meetings is better or shorter meetings is better, like that particular one. How did we discover that? How did that happen? When you try to build software, software can either be entirely generic and make no assumptions about what you're supposed to do, and therefore it doesn't give you any guidance. Hmm. You get the blank sheet of paper. It might be Tolstoy's next novel, except he's dead, or it could be a terrible memo. So that you can be there or you can be highly directive. You can actually help people fill in something that's that's towards a purpose. And we were trying to build software that was help trying to help people run better meetings. Mm. We started with the belief that these better meetings would be highly structured and as short as possible and as few of them as possible to achieve the goals. And that's, that still doesn't sound terrible. But when we started looking into what actually worked in uh, different environments and different kinds of teams, we found that the answers are actually fairly complex. Hmm. It turns out that oftentimes folks who are trying to run super short meetings are skipping out on the things that make teams gel. They'll skip out the bit where they talk to each other about who they are as humans, where they say hello, <laughs> for example. <laughs> They'll skip acknowledging and, and saying thank you and appreciating each other's work. Yeah. They'll skip taking the time to be confused about a thing mm-hmm. and pause and let people wonder if they actually do have a question and ask it when they're in the room to get that answer that they need. They blow past in the name of efficiency, all the things that lead to effectiveness. So running and keeping them too short turns out to be a myth. The other really surprising myth, there's this pervasive sense that everyone hates meetings. Uh, number of books called like meetings suck, <laughs> meetings are a waste of time, popular books. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it turns out when you do look at the research that not only do people not hate meetings, there are meetings and occasions that people will claw their way into. There are times where there is something happening in that room and we want to be in that room. We want to be part of where that decision is getting made. We want to be the folks who get the inside scoop, who influence the direction, who have a chance to matter. Hmm. And a lot of that mattering happens um, when the decision to act is made in a meeting. We also tend to not hate having, we tend to not hate all of our meetings because we're fundamentally social animals. And when we don't have a chance to connect, we're isolated, lonely, disenfranchised. So the challenge is to find the right balance between mm. the time we come together in community, in, in dialogue, in our attempt to work as a team and make something useful happen, and then the time that we need to then go off and actually do that useful thing. Speaking of isolation and remoteness, what about now everybody being forced to do all of their meetings remotely? What have you seen going on amongst your clients and friends and acquaintances in terms of that? It's been really a fabulous learning experience for a lot of people. And I think while at the beginning there was some fear that going remote would just drive productivity down and destroy groups and whatnot, what they have found is that going remote has actually increased productivity for many teams mm. and that the online meeting world isn't as scary as they thought it would be. That's been actually a fairly positive shift. There's also been a heightening of awareness of the fact that how we meet, when we meet, the design of the meeting itself is something that you can do on purpose and think about mm -hmm. because all the habits were disrupted. Teams aren't just rolling into the conference room at 11 on Tuesday because that's what they've always done. They had to intentionally, oh, wait, where's the camera? And do all, make all of these decisions that they didn't have to make before. And because the decisions were put in place there, all of a sudden they had to think about the fact that they were making those decisions. So we saw some really, really cool things happening, especially in the really big companies, mm -hmm. where as leadership teams realized they needed to somehow replace the office connections and all the serendipity of the water cooler, and then also be communicating with their people about like, how are we going to handle this pandemic? Are we going back to work? How do we retool our supply chain? All these things. CEOs would get on calls with the entire staff which wasn't something they were doing before, right? Because the entire staff doesn't fit in the boardroom. So <laughs> we, get, we get like the whole company, the whole multinational company on a lunch talk every Thursday. And employees would start seeing these CEOs of these multi-billion dollar companies show up in the middle of the night in their hoodie with a cat or a kid or something walking through. Mm -hmm. And they became human. And I heard people going, oh, I was looking for another job, but I listened to this guy every Thursday and I'm in. They connected back up to the purpose of why they'd picked that company in the first place. Wow. So there are some really powerful things that have happened because they have been forced remote. There are some kind of ugly things too. <laughs> yeah. 
without obviously without naming names what do you mean by ugly the schools where i'm at are not open so my kids are all in all remote school and i think what the schools are doing is very reminiscent of what the worst of the companies have done in making the transition and that is that they have tried to tried to replicate the in office experience um, in the remote world as closely as possible. So in the case of my kids' school, they said, if we were back in a physical location, what we'd be doing is we'd be walking kids to class at, at eight and then at nine and then at 10 and then at one, and we would have them in a full school day. And that's what we really want. We want a full school day. So they have a second and third graders logging in every 45 minutes for 10 to 15 minutes in video calls with the idea that you've just you've got the space but you've just moved it into the internet cloud and it's really still <laughs> we're all still in space together but but when you try to replicate the physical world in the virtual world and you don't treat the remote world as truly what it is which is a completely different workplace then you get the worst of the burnout stuff we see companies do that too i expect people to be online from eight to five and you're going to check in every two hours and I don't have my water cooler. So what I'll do is I'll, to make sure we're all talking is I'll just schedule more meetings, right? Like they're either meeting all the time or they're on Slack or Teams all day. And it's like a constant meeting and nobody can get anything done. And it's completely eviscerating to both endurance. It's just, it, it's burning people out. Right. I want to change direction a tiny bit. You have the software, I presume people put in their purposes of their meetings, and then you have some kind of a result at the end. And you had that before the pandemic. Have you looked at any numbers in terms of how meetings are maintaining the same level of effectiveness or not because of the pandemic? The people who use our software tend to have a pretty good idea that they want to design meetings and run effective meetings. Okay. Otherwise they wouldn't use our software. So looking at it from software numbers on our side, we don't see big shifts that way because that is, in fact, the whole point <laughs> of the platform. Where I do see it is in our knowledge services. We started as just a software company, but we found people were trying to adopt our software who had no skills. They, they could run a meeting, but a really purposeful meeting that was well-designed was not right where they were at. We started developing all kinds of content to help folks understand how to structure and design different kinds of meetings that get results. And in the last five to six years have really built out not just the software, but a whole raft of training and educational resources. And that has been growing rather dramatically since the lockdown hit us in March of last year, of this hmm. year, oh, it feels like a year. <laughs> 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 it feels like a decade sometimes. Yeah. It does, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're seeing quite a ramp on that. So we're not seeing necessarily that people have become dramatically more effective. I think folks are through that bit where they figured out how to use Zoom or <laughs> whatever it was going to be, which is a big deal. It is, I, yeah. The, there were a lot of organizations that didn't turn cameras on at all, and that shifted. So that's a big deal. But it's not yet the same as, and then we walk out of every one of our calls knowing who did what and what decisions we've made and we're effective and empowered. So that's that next step. Yeah. So my biggest takeaway from this particular conversation was the key insight that 
Elise had when she started her whole journey. Um, this whole idea of designing meetings, that if meetings enabled people to talk to each other successfully and make decisions, that everything else gets easier. Um, and that's why it's worth really thinking through and being deliberate and putting a design hat on when organizing your and the way meetings work at your company. So tune in next time for part two, and we'll continue the conversation there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Align Remotely podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>